Well, good morning. It's going to take your ears a little bit of time to adjust. It's kind of like a game in Ireland. Uh, we have a unique accent where every vowel sounds exactly the same. So puts the burden on the listener. I do want to talk uh, this morning from Isaiah chapter 9, particularly verse 7. But before you go there, and this is where there's an obstacle, I want you to turn to Psalm 96, or Psalm 96, as we, we say in Ireland. But when I was at uh, seminary with uh, uh, Steve and Darren, when I would ask other people to turn to Psalm whatever, Psalm 96, they couldn't work out if I was talking about 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel. <laughs> so it's not a nickname. Go to the middle of your Bibles and you'll find it. Uh, it's funny, isn't it, how you get a little bit nostalgic? I, was, uh, I got to come up a little bit earlier yesterday and spend a bit of time with uh, Darren uh, Beckersfield. Let me thank you for your ministry to Darren. This man is getting married. <laughs> If that's not a work of grace, I don't know what is. <laughs> you, you have uh, been so kind to him, so kind to Steve. You're so cared for by uh, both those men and, and the others that help and guide in this church. I loved getting to come out and to be here for the conference. It was a real blessing to me. I love as well being able to pick up the phone to call Darren and to hear reports about just what God is doing in this congregation. And he has been good to you. We've been singing so much this morning about the significance and the privilege that is ours to worship Him. And Psalm 96 continues that theme. This was the psalm that inspired Isaac Watts to write the song so often we sing at Christmas, Joy to the World. Let me read it to you. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name and bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. 
Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness. And the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that that Christ is coming back. We are so thankful that that our King, our King who we love, that He will come back and He will reign, and all this world will acknowledge, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we thank you that not only will that happen because the Word has revealed it and your purposes have decreed it, but we thank you, as we've been reminded at the end of this particular section of Scripture, that you will come and be faithful, that he will minister to those who are his. We thank you, Lord, that many in this room are able to call themselves subjects of King Jesus. Many have been brought through your grace and your mercy to that place where they abide the knee, and they have acknowledged his rule over their life. And we thank you for the joy that this, this uh, section of Scripture speaks of, the joy that is ours because he has made himself known. And yet, Lord, we are a people so quickly distracted. We thank you for the moment we had earlier in the service to confess, to recognize our sinfulness before you. And yet, Lord, we thank you that the one we, we stand before is, is quick to mercy, quick to forgiveness, full of compassion for his own. And Lord, not only are we sinful, but we are stubborn and quick to forget. And so we come at this moment of our service begging for your grace and mercy upon our ears and upon our hearts. That we, would, that we would be a people who hear you speak through your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need to be revived once more. We need to be reminded afresh of the sureness of our salvation and the sureness of Christ Jesus' reign. So speak to us and edify our souls through the proclamation of your word for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. For we come in his name. Amen. Well, please do turn over to Isaiah or Isaiah. It's going to be a long morning. (laughs) Chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Now, obviously you have a man here from Ireland, and you're thinking to yourself, like, I've heard of jet lag, but jet lag that's a month off is a little bit too much. We're used to reading this particular section of Scripture in December, in the run-up to the Christmas season, and yet I hope we'll see as we study. The section certainly speaks of that child that would come, but looks even further 
through the pages of history to a time yet to be, a time we anticipate, a time we look forward to. And though uh, maybe it feels a little misplaced, I hope this particular section of Scripture given in January will help us to look forward through this year and into the future with deep anticipation that our King will come. Isaiah chapter 9, let me just read those two familiar verses. Verse 6 and verse 7, God's Word declares, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This morning, I want to focus in particular on that last phrase, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This whole section of Scripture is coming in a weird time in history. Isaiah is obviously present. He is faithful. He loves the Lord. And there are others like him who genuinely care for and seek to worship the Lord God Almighty. But they're the minority. And they find themselves in a nation where there are memories of, of, of times when the worship of God was vibrant. He, he ministers so often in the city of Jerusalem where the temple stands, where, where the law of God so often was read out. But the king over that particular city, the king over Judah at the time, was a man called Ahaz. And what a mess Ahaz was. He was a man who found himself operating at a strange and difficult time, certainly in history. Weird political allegiances were uh, kind of coming to the forefront of society. He had northern Israel, a different nation, just above him, who had found themselves in partnership with another nation called Syria. They were wicked in, their, in what they were seeking to do, and they uh, wanted Ahaz to come and to align with them. But, but, but he... He saw their weakness and the danger that was presented because there was another war machine, Assyria, that was starting to gather forces and gobble up other nations around about. And so Ahaz is plotting and conspiring how to uh, keep northern Israel and Syria at bay and, and how to become friends with Assyria. And because so much of his focus is up there in the north, in the background, Edom and uh, Moab are nipping at the heels of, of southern Judah. And, and Ahaz is scratching his head, and he's trying to work out what he can do, what he should do. He 
robs the people. He, he takes anything of value and he, he tries to buy off Assyria. You know, one way to make friends with somebody is to buy them a nice gift. Ah, that was his ta- tactic. Maybe if I, I, I can give them money. Maybe if I can uh, give something nice. Assyria and me will be friends. And I'll be, I'll be linked with the one who is, humanly speaking, most powerful. He was a wicked man too. Trying to gain favor of false gods. Wicked systems of religion. Ahaz, a king who was terrible to his subjects, was cruel even to his family. He took his son and sacrificed his son in order to try and win some favor from a a false, wicked religious system. This was a, a time where the nation that was meant to be devoted to God was in an absolute mess. And the rot was most clear at the top. And yet into that context, God reveals through his prophet these mountaintop names. He speaks of a child that would come that will reign. The government will be upon his shoulders. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He will sit on the throne of David. That's where Ahaz was meant to be, but he will actually be there. And what sort of reign will he have? Will he be be a mess like Ahaz? Oh, no. For he will be called Wonderful counselor. In that ancient world, they knew the meaning of the word wonderful. We don't. Afterwards, I'm sure I will have lunch with somebody, you kind, compassionate people of Bakersfield, (laughs) who will pay. (laughs) And I like to eat. And I will take whatever it is carefully chosen from the menu. And I will place it upon my lips and take a delicious bite. And Darren, no doubt, will turn to me because he will be there if there's a meal offered. (laughs) Not yet married. (laughs) And he will say, Andrew, how is it? And I will go, it's wonderful. And that would be wrong. Because the word wonderful does not mean good. It doesn't mean very good. Especially in the Old Testament context, it means divine. An action and activity beyond human explanation. It can only be explained by the work of heaven above And so here is a child who will reign, who will be marked with divine-like qualities. And one of the divine-like qualities that mark this child will be the type of counsel he gives. The picture isn't talking about one who, who, if I lie down here on the stage and pour out my feelings, listens and goes, "Mm mm-hmm, tell me more. 
No, the type of counsel being spoken of is that that would be brought into the courts of the king. The wisdom, the the people who know, who can discern the, the path forward in the political turmoil of this world. And yet here, the king himself is marked by a wisdom and an understanding of the best way forward that can't even be talked about in human terms it is wonderful. It's divine-like uh, uh, counsel that this king will have. A wisdom, a, a knowledge, an understanding of how to move forward that is altogether different. Secondly, his reign. In his reign, he will be known as a mighty God. Certainly, he is strong. He is almighty. We, we, we know how Christ is described through Scripture. But that particular word has the, the, the connotations of, of a fighter. It could be translated the warrior God. Here is one who, who goes to battle. Here is one who fights for his people. You think of um, Egypt, the signs and wonders that divine activity performed in Egypt where God comes and fights to defend and to free and ultimately protect his people in a world full of threats, especially that Isaiah finds himself in with Edom nipping in the background and Syria and northern Israel pressing hard against them and, and the shadow of Assyria already beginning to loom. With all of these threats, God's people are told, oh, there will be a king who will come, who will be a warrior God, who, 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 who squashes the threat, who fights with divine-like capabilities. He's, he's the warrior God. He's an unstoppable entity. And his actions, his fight, is to secure and to protect his own. He will be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father. An everlasting father. In a world where kings come and kings go, where, where, where there's always a shuffle of who's in charge and who has power, there will be one who will come and reign everlasting. And what's he like? How, well, well, how, how would you describe his rule? Well, God reveals to Isaiah, I'll tell you what his rule will be like. You're used to wicked Ahaz who robs the people, who abuses and kills even his own son. Well, this king this child king that will come, he will be an everlasting father. He'll have the disposition of one who cares, one who's invested in his own. He's not a cold, callous, removed king. He loves his people. I live in Northern Ireland and we are subjects of the Queen. 
Queen Elizabeth. But you know what? She's never had me over to the palace. (laughs) She's never even said hello. Never received a birthday card. But this king, you couldn't get more personal. You couldn't get more invested. He's not like our kings and queens. He's emotionally invested. He loves with an abounding love his own. And he's a prince of peace. All the people in Isaiah's day wanted was peace. All the people talked about was who's going to squash us next. That's the world they were living in. And the idea of peace, it seemed dreamlike, beyond comprehension. But here is one who will come and will reign, and his reign will be marked by peace. He will bring peace. And not just a peace that is enjoyed uh, amongst the subjects, and even enjoyed in the world over which he reigns, But here's one who will come, who will secure a peace, according to Isaiah 53, between wicked, sinful man and God himself. Do you see the glory of this reign that is spoken about? In a context where even the hint of a noble and good king seems hard to comprehend into this certain mess of the historical moment, God speaks and he says to the faithful, look ahead for a reign, a lasting reign is coming. It will be altogether different from anything you have ever known in this world. And I want to assure you, the end of verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. In other words, this isn't wishful thinking. This isn't just a good ambition. This isn't the goal that we hope we will reach. Oh, you must understand in Isaiah's day, and we need to understand today at the start of 2022 that this is something the Lord himself is significantly committed to. So let's ask the question. We're just going to ask some questions of this phrase. What is it that God is committed to? We're told here in the strongest of language, God is committed to something. What is it he is committed to? Well, we've been talking about it, haven't we? The truth's been revealed that Jesus is coming. God is committed to the coming Jesus. And even more, commit it to the recognition of his rule and the quality of his rule, the effectiveness of his rule amongst his people. We will see, we will know, we will, we will see it clearly. It will be evident before our eyes that he is a wonderful counselor, 
that he is a mighty God, that he is an everlasting father, that he is a prince of peace. It'll be known to us. It'll be known not just in a theoretical way or in a, uh, with a hopeful way. It'll be known in an experiential way. And God is committed to look at the extent of this role. It's not just a rule being known here in this uh, particular building here in Bakersfield. But, but, but his rule will be known across this world. The government, we're told in verse 6, will be upon his shoulder. Look, look at the beginning of verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. You see how this rule is spoken about. That here is a rule that that moves and stretches and swallows up all the powers and principalities of this world. It stretches to all ends of the earth, to every tongue, tribe, to every kindred, to every family. His rule moves and swallows it all. And how long will this be? A 50-year reign? A 100-year reign? From this time forth and forevermore. What is he committed to? Look at the objects of his commitment. (laughs) This is the one I find most staggering. For to us. To us a son is given. This is a, a God is committed to a reign that is, is magnificent. That, that is beyond the comprehension of people on earth. That will last forever. But a reign that brings real benefit to the subjects under that rule. It is about Jesus, the one above all. And yet, in this particular moment, God is revealing through his prophet that that king who will reign over all and deserves our our worship and deserves our respect and deserves our praise, God says, and it will be to your benefit. It will bring blessing upon you. His reign will be here and it will be for for your sake. This is what God is committed to. And why is he committed to these things? Why is he committed to these things? Well, look at our phrase at the end of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Look at the capital L, the capital O, the capital R, and the capital D. So often in our English versions, that all capital Lord, the name Yahweh, That name that speaks of this transcendent God. I am who I am. 
And yet that name that is used in Scripture to speak of his covenant-making and keeping nature. We have a God who keeps his word. Well, we were so used to people, governors, who say one thing and a couple of months later do the opposite. Not Yahweh. When Yahweh says he will do, whether it be big or whether it be small, he will do. For he is Yahweh. He is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. This is his nature. This is who he is. This is how he operates. He makes promises and he insists because of who he is on keeping every single one. Look at the language again in verse 7. The zeal of the Lord. You need to understand, friend, God isn't just this dull, removed, remote, dispassionate being. He's zealous about his plans. He's he's passionately committed to everything he has promised. He's insistent it will come to be. He he is the promise-making, promise-keeping God, and you need to know he's passionate about that. He's determined to see that out. He's zealous about doing everything he has said he will do at just the right time. We have a God who doesn't just make promises, but he cares deeply about the promises and the keeping of those promises that he makes. And he is the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts who will do this. In other words, that that description is a reminder that he is all-powerful. He's the Lord over and above all hosts. Any other power, any other principality, whether it be earthly, whether it be spiritual, He is over it all. All is under His command. And the implication is very simple. It means that our God is unstoppable. It means whatever He reveals, it will happen because nothing can stop Him. Get out of your head this idea that we are in a spiritual war that we can lose. We are in a spiritual war. And Satan is active. But he's beaten. And he has no chance. In fact, he is under the Lord of hosts. Everything he has revealed, he has committed to, will happen. Because he's Yahweh. Because he's zealous. And because he's over all the Lord of hosts. So when is this going to happen? Or when did this happen? Well, Isaiah wrote almost 800 years before that child was born in Bethlehem. Isn't that amazing? 800 years that's, that's a long time. And the Bible says, doesn't it, that to our God, a thousand years are as a day. 
we're so impatient. And God does everything at just the right time. At just the right time, a child was born, wrapped in swaddling cloths, and laid in a manger. And yet I want you to understand this morning, that wasn't it all. That was simply the start. The start of this prophecy we've read together being fulfilled. There is so much more yet to be. For the government is to be on his shoulders. Now, I don't know about America, but in Ireland, the government there has not yet submitted to King Jesus. This holy nation of America, maybe it's different. His reign here on earth is not yet established. I think we're best to read Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7, not as simply foretelling the stable, but we have to read it eschatologically. We need to read it and recognize that what is being spoken of here is something in the future yet. The establishment of his palace, his presence, his reign here on this earth. It's a joy to the world moment. You know that, Carol? Joy to the world. That's the carol that shouldn't be a carol. It's a wonderful one to sing. But it's got nothing to do with his first coming. It's everything to do with his second. Isaac Watts, who penned uh, Joy to the World, he he penned it after reading the psalm that we uh, read at the beginning, Psalm 96. It speaks of the whole earth bowing to his rule and his judgment. That's a time yet to be. Just as Joy to the World speaks of that time yet to be, these verses, they speak of a time we're still anticipating, a time yet to be. We're still waiting in 2022 for the full extent of Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7 to be realized. And you need to know this morning that just as God did keep his promise to bring that child into the world, born to the Virgin Mary, and laid in the stable, so our King Jesus, he will certainly come and reign forever. This is a sure event. This is a certain event. Why? Because the seal of the Lord of hosts will do it. Understand, God is passionately committed to keeping this promise. So, what do we do with this particular promise in January 2022? Remember in Isaiah's day, the king, he was in charge. Was that panicked, useless, despot, Ahaz. And he was worried about every political play of his day. He was always thinking about alliances and, and ways of manipulating the system. 
But how many of you care about Ahaz? How many people in our world care about Ahaz? Maybe a few archaeologists are trying to understand the story a little bit more, but the man and the time are so small, so insignificant in the bigger scheme of world history. What does it really matter? And I think understanding that brings perspective. In Isaiah's day, the prophet and the faithful, they cared about these things. They were caught up so often in the panic that, that, that saturated the world they were in. And I think we need to be reminded as people who quickly panic in our world today, what does this matter today? For the seal of the Lord of hosts will do it. People today were freaking out about COVID, gas prices, taxes. I dare say there's many people here, many Christians here in Bakersfield that are panicking about legislation slipping out of Sacramento. About the anti-Christian bias that you see increasingly on the media. About the denial in our schools of a God-given identity and sexuality. We get so panicked by it, don't we? We find ourselves anxious about it, worried about it. Not to mention other things, our, our own personal health financial stress, the threat of losing a loved one, our worries about our our kids' education in this particular system, and on and on and on the list goes of things that (sighs) cause us to sigh. We worry about so much. We worry It feels like about everything. And yet, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. There's our perspective. For it says, God's not going to be thrown by these things. Legislation from Sacramento isn't going to stop God. A bad news report with a liberal bias isn't going to thwart his plans. God isn't scared or thrown by any of the tumultuous turns of life in this world. And so we, his people, we do not need to be either. Why? For we know the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. Ireland's a really small place. It's about the size of Indiana State. So it doesn't take you long to be living in Ireland before you get a little claustrophobic. And what happens is you get the ferry uh, across to Scotland or across to England or even across the fronts. That's what we do to try and remind ourselves that there is more outside the Emerald Isle. But when you get on these ferries and you're not used to doing it before, you you know, you, you feel nauseous and you're wobbling and you're you're bouncing and you feel like you're going to fall over with every movement of the waves and it takes time to get your sea legs you know those sea legs 
where you just you kind of sway with the waves. And you don't feel sick anymore. And you have confidence. The captain will get us there. Friends, this verse is where we find our seed legs. We know the captain. And our captain always gets us to port. And with every wave and sway of this world and this life and the realness of them, you can have confidence that none of it thwarts our captain pulling into port. Why? For the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. We are on the winning side and there's no stopping it. Imagine if this Sunday afternoon there was a football match between the 49ers and the Bakersfield Drillers. (laughs) It's not really going to be a competition, is it? We love the high school football team, but it's not going to be a competition. That's what we need to realize in a far, far, far bigger way. We have an unstoppable force. And all that he has said he will do and he will achieve, he has committed himself to with his utmost. He is unstoppable. He is unwavering. And he is committed, we are told specifically, to King Jesus reigning victorious over his people with a perfect, a kind, and a compassionate, fatherly-like rule. That will happen. It will happen. So let me ask you, when Isaiah says, for to us a child is born, to us, A son is given. Friend, are you part of the us? Are you part of the us? Are you one of his subjects? Anticipating in this messed up world that perfect reign that will be Are you one of the remnant longing for King Jesus' rule to be established here on earth to last forever? Does this prophecy include you? In other words, very simply, do you know Jesus is your king today? Have you submitted to his rule? Have you left your rebellion against him and come and cried out to him for mercy and called out to him for inclusion in his kingdom and bowed the need to his rule over your life? Do you know him as your king? For if you do, you too can have hope that all that God has said he would do For his people, King Jesus, his perfect rule, his wonderful counsel, his his warrior-like capability to fight for his people, 
his everlasting fatherly disposition towards his subjects and the security of the peace that he establishes will be yours. The good news is not just simply that that Jesus will reign. Hallelujah, that will be. But the good news I want to leave you with this morning is that because this king that will reign has already come, and in that coming suffered and died, as Isaiah will say, if you turn with me to chapter 53, He, the suffering servant, comes to secure the future for his subjects. Look at Isaiah 53 and verse 5. It says, but he was wounded. There's that inclusive word again, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us there's that peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Friend, you can come and be one of King Jesus' subjects. For he bore the punishment that would exclude you. He bore it upon himself so that those who he came to save could be brought in and secured in his kingdom, not by their works, but solely by his gracious provision and his suffering and the punishment that should have been ours falling instead on his shoulders. Look at verse 11 of the same passage. This act of sacrifice is why he will reign. It says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. King Jesus will reign and he will reign over his subjects and those subjects will be his for he bore the punishment that should have been theirs. This morning, do you have confidence you are one of his? You're one of his subjects because you're trusting in his, his perfect finished, completed, sacrificial work. I don't do this. It's something I I try not to do because I would do it far too often. The closing with a hymn. But a memory of my single friend, who will not be, if you have a hymnal in front of you, turn... To 224. Sometimes I worry that when we talk about Jesus' second coming, it still feels so far away to us. It's not far away, friend. And that's why I'm asking you are you ready? Are you today one of his subjects? 
Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Look at the last verse of this particular hymn. This is what we're anticipating. This is what the promise speaks of. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Oh, there was a time, even a generation ago, where we were waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled. For the the countries of this world to hear the good news of the gospel. Do you know what? The gospel has reached every country. There are still some tribes, some people groups needing to hear, but in my lifetime, that will happen. We are so close. Friends in Bakersfield, the fact that you are an American congregation led in singing by a Canadian (laughs) and having to endure a sermon from an Irishman (laughs) is evidence. The nations have heard. The Lord's coming is pending. It is soon. Are you his? Are you ready? When the king comes, will you be found as one of his subjects? Let me pray and give thanks to God that he is coming back. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that our confidence is not in wishful thinking, but our confidence is in your character and your person. We thank you that you, the God who saves, because you have promised that all who come to you, you will in no way cast out, are also the God who will ensure that Christ will return and his reign be established that will last forever. We thank you that the good news of of how we can be saved, of how we can come into this kingdom, how we can become part of of, uh, one of his subjects. We thank you, Lord, that that has been clearly revealed in Scripture and the good news has been taken to every country in this world. And we look forward with great anticipation to his coming once more. Lord, may all be ready in this room and excited. That our king, our good king, our our king with a fatherly like disposition will soon come. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.